story of Toronto FC's 2017 championship season really starts 364 days before they hoisted that MLS Cup against the same opponent in the same stadium, the first installment of a trilogy bout between Toronto FC and the Seattle Sounders. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and you're listening to the first episode of the Northern Pitch Podcast, a look at Toronto FC's 2017 championship season. On today's episode, we'll take a look back at that 2016 MLS Cup, as well as the offseason that followed. A little bit later, we'll have Joshua Cloak of The Athletic on, but first, Tag Moyo, how are things? I'm good, man. I'm, I've got a proper microphone. I'm ready to go. I'm excited for our, us to do our first episode, first real one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, looking back to 2016 MLS Cup, like that was that was definitely a big moment for me. I mean, that was the first major final I covered, kind of the first uh, experience I had with something like that. And and I mean, you know, a, a lot of wild stories from that day, certainly. And uh, I, I think like to kind of set the context, like we as as the media members of course we're, we're always up in that press box um it's it's kind of it's, it's it's such a different view of the stadium right like you're in an enclosed box you can't really hear what's going on like even even the game before against Montreal like I know that's people say that was the wildest game ever at BMO Field but like you can't entirely hear what's going on with the fans uh, during that time but I I just remember like being outside for that MLS cup because they had the like auxiliary press box. We were in like a tent almost at the top of the stands. Um, and just, you know, the, the first thing you, you noticed was that like the atmosphere in that building is so sick. And like for the MLS cup, like that was the first time I'd really ever heard it like that. Cause like they open up the the windows in there in the summer, but like summer BMO is, is obviously different from playoffs. No, you, you, you got to experience like, BMO for like what it truly is which is I'm I'm lucky because like as a photographer I mean I didn't shoot it that that season but um I will I shot one game in 26 2016 and I didn't shoot the finals but mm-hmm. um the two three years after that when I'm down there and and when BMO's rocking like it's it's pretty it's next level I've, I've been to like I shot at the Rose Bowl during a Mexico game uh Mexico game for the gold cup and it was loud, but I, I, I felt like there's been times where BMO's been way louder and there were seventy there were sixty four thousand people at the Rose Bowl. So that's like telling. Yeah. So I can only imagine. I remember watching the game, the finals, um on on TV and it was crazy. Yeah, because like it's obviously it's it's not just the attendance, it's like what the game was, right? Like it's what it meant to these people. And you know, that, that one especially, I feel like obviously 2017 MLS Cup was special, but this was like really the first time Toronto FC fans had ever experienced something on and just this. how much it took to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Like that was a wild playoff <laughs> run. Everything about that was insane. So um yeah I remember that and then obviously I, I remember the cold again this is something you experience a lot more than me I'm usually uh in my well-heated uh view of the the stadium but uh I, I remember that game I, I wasn't entirely sure whether I was going to be in the main press box or like this side press box so I, I showed up with like just a light jacket and like a suit just in case and that was such a huge mistake I was freezing the entire game like couldn't feel my hands I think uh Ollie Platt who was our editor at the time now of one soccer he had to actually finish the article I was working on because I was like dude I, I can't feel my hands anymore like I can't I can't take my hands out to type uh MLS was good about it though they they like gave us blankets and hats and a whole bunch of stuff like that that and I was like by the end wrapped up in literally everything they gave us but that was insane I mean it's it gets cold down there especially by the lakefront Ah, I, I wouldn't know about it. I, I <laughs> never experienced. I'm, I'm no, but it 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 is cold, and because like that's the difference. Like with us, even like photographers, and 
kind of like you when we're we're working we're down there we're not really able to like jump and dance like like how the fans are and, and it, it so it's 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 different we get cold <laughs> like we get very cold just sitting and waiting yeah absolutely and then uh the last thing i wanted to bring up was like how weird it is to cover like a team that loses a game of that magnitude like obviously you know i covered toronto fc in 2014 i, I covered a lot of toronto fc losses <laughs> and a lot of like reasonably bad losses like i like, said there is no bigger footy man in canada than you mitch <laughs> resume speaks for itself i don't know about that but um but certainly like it was just a different vibe like I remember you could hear the fans in their dressing room, like like not not the fans, like the outside fans, like the actual ceiling fans, because that's how freaking quiet it was in there. Even though there was like a hundred media members, and like the players all talked like this the entire time. They were just silent in the microphone. They were, they were just like, I mean, <laughs> I also remember Drew Moore was still smiling, like he like this guy was still like he just lost MLS Cup, and like you could see the pain in his eyes. He's still just like smiling and like. Semi he's just a professional like, he's yeah. like no matter what like the scenario he you know that's part of the job and he he understands it he was drew's dope he's great yeah definitely one of the players i miss the most i mean it, uh, this was case in point but like anytime they had a really bad loss you knew you were talking to drew because like he could always put a somewhat positive spin on things and he'd be you know he'd be friendly with the media so um, they'll definitely miss him for that but uh yeah and then just you know, walking outside and I remember waiting by the elevators and all the families from, from Toronto FC like congregate there. And um, yeah, everyone was just, you know, it was such a like weirdly like numb mood. Like everyone's just like, what do we do now? I remember one of, uh, I think it was one of Josie's boys was just like, Josie, where are we going out tonight? And he just like looks him dead in the eyes like, dude, we just lost MLS Cup final. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? <laughs> it was actually hilarious. But yeah, that that's what I remember about MLS Cup 2016. And um yeah just a just a pretty crazy time and obviously what what it kicked off afterwards and leading into the 2017 season you know that's it's it was it's a crazy time and it's 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 cool to see that after all of this time we got like 2017 that we're going to get into and then the 2019 it's it, it came kind of full circle well i'm sure josh will have, have plenty more stories about mls cup 2016 as well so on the other side of the break joshua cloak I can think of no better guest to kick off a show on Toronto FC's history than the author of Come On You Reds, The Toronto FC Story, as well as a writer for The Athletic, Joshua Cloak. Josh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Dude, thanks for having me on. It's great. Yeah, uh, I think if if I'm correct, uh, 2016 MLS Cup was towards the start of your time on on the Toronto FC beat. Uh, what do you remember about that, uh, covering that uh, game? Yeah, that was, I, I want to say that was within a month, two months of the athletic just kind of launching in Toronto. Um, I'd been doing some stuff like some freelance work um, on the team throughout 15 and 16, but like right through the end of 16 was when things really kind of started the game itself. um, I mean, you're coming off the, the, you know, the game against Montreal, which in a lot of ways just felt like a final just in terms of like, storylines the rivalry and just how incredible the game and the atmosphere was itself um i i know that you know some people might not agree but it just felt like after that game that anything else was just kind of gravy right so um but you're going into the the game it's absolutely freezing um i was outside there was a lot like they had to build two extra um 
kind of press boxes. Um, if anybody's been to BMO Field, and if you're listening to this, I'm sure you have been uh, on both sides of the press box, and they were just tents, and they had these little warmers kind of at your feet, um, these electric warmer things. And I was outside for the first half, um, and it was just it. It was abnormally cold. Like I couldn't write anything. I, I think I put my computer away after like five minutes because I'm like, I'm not going to, my hands are freezing. They actually gave us uh, hand warmers. Um, and I, I think if I recall correctly, um, Bruce Arthur had like the number one or number two seat and he didn't show um, Bruce Arthur, you know, the Toronto star. Mm-hmm. incredible writer and he didn't show um and my colleague sean fitzgerald who was inside he texted me and said there's a seat in here come on in um and i was i i came in after that which was an incredible relief i got you know because the game obviously yeah goes long um but yeah i i remember the 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 fine or sorry the 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 penalties um it was I, the game before in Montreal, or sorry, against Montreal, was so loud. It was so, so, so loud. Um, and I just remember it being very, very tense for the penalties. And it was this great juxtaposition of this crowd just losing their minds in that second half against Montreal um, and then kind of sitting on their hands um, throughout the, the, the penalties. So, yeah, pretty pretty interesting night, even though it's obviously nil-nil, right? Yeah, I think you uh, think you got lucky going inside at halftime. Yeah. I was outside for the uh, the whole game, and yeah, those hand warmers. I mean, I remember stuffing them in the end of my shoes just because my feet were completely frozen. So, um, yeah, I, th- I know fans right now will be rolling their eyes and saying, "Well, you guys always get to see and photographers but, and the yeah, photographers." Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you guys <laughs> yeah. too are just That's rolling your live. eyes right now, saying you soft media guys. But you know what? We don't get to jump around and we don't get to drink beer, so. Neither do neither do the photographers. I guess that's fair as well. <laughs> but no, I I, can, I understand. But yeah, you mentioned the the game being nil nil, and um, you know, I, the game itself is almost uh, almost a, a commercial for why one one leg finals can be so disappointing in the sense that you know Seattle didn't really turn up to that game to to play. They had a very defensive strategy in mind. Yeah. Um... Uh, it's funny when you when the 2017 MLS Cup rolls around, um, you you get to talk to all these players about the year before. It was some pretty natural storylines, and and I remember talking to Drew Moore about that, and he told me that he believed right from the first, right from the opening kickoff, the way um, Seattle just kind of played the ball back, and just the the way that they played it and showed no real interest in attacking the game. He said that completely flipped everything on its head. And, and he, he told me, and he's a, a guy that reads the game really well. He said he got the sense right away that Seattle were not going to go after this game. Um, and, you know, like it's, it, it wasn't always the most aesthetically pleasing match, um, mm-hmm. but it was pretty clear from the outset what was going to happen. Um, and that made things, I think, in retrospect, I think that made things a lot more tense for, you know, player or for fans because you knew they were going to get chances. And as Stefan Fry kept playing the way that he did, you started to think, well, you know, what if this is, you know, forgive the term, it's just a team running into a hot goalie. And, and then, and that's that. Um, so it worked out really well. Their game plan worked out really, really well. 
Yeah, no, picking up on that, it, it was it was kind of as a fan because in 2016, I was I only shot one game, so I was watching it mainly as a fan. It was it was it was very frustrating. And then I remember that overtime save by Fry was just like because the entire game we had our chances, but nothing ever really tested him. And yeah. then that was the one time where um, the header it, it looked like it was going in, and then he just reached out and it was like, "Come on, it was hard." Like that was. Yeah, it was, and and, and uh, it was. Yeah, again, you go back and you watch those those kind of chances. They they had a few, but that kind of thing, I imagine, it, it gets in players' heads, and and you start looking at the the, the mountain that you have to climb as being that much bigger. Um, so yeah, it was. But kudos to Fry, right? Like he he won them that game. Oh yeah, he like me as a goalie. I I like I was watching that and. I was frustrated, but I was also like, that's something that you, you thrive on. And I kind of feel like after that save, um, it just, it, it kind of gave him that extra momentum moving into the, the penalties. And I, I kind of felt like maybe, and I was talking with Mitch, like we ended up going in the, 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 the game went up, ended up going to penalties and then we lost that. And I was talking to Mitch and we were like, was that like the start kind of, of TFC struggles with penalties <laughs> moving forward? Um, maybe. Yeah, it's, I mean, look, their track record isn't great. Um, but penalties are just such, like, they're such a crapshoot. And, like, as dramatic as they are, and, and I'm a sucker for, for drama of kind of any sort, but um, it's what an awful way to end the game. Yeah. Like, what, a, what, an, uh, what an absolutely awful way to, to, to end, you know, a, um, a season as well um as as incredible as they are i'm sure for for audiences so yeah i think if you look back at at some of the 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 people that have taken penalties and i think we're talking about this one and we're talking about 2018 concacaf champions league and i guess the 2019 uh canadian championship if i have Mm -hmm. my dates right um but it, it it's tough because i i think you know, those kind of penalties stay with players. Um, I don't think um, players should kind of get the stick that they do. I know that Greg Vanny kind of went to, if I recall correctly, he said he went to Justin Morrow first in the locker room after that game to kind of said, look, forget about it. Like, like, let's, let's move on. And let's like, don't, don't think that you're, if I'm, if I recall correctly, like, don't think that you're the guy that has to wear this, kind of night on your shoulders right so i don't know I, I i used to like taking penalties um i really did but i i did um uh if only because we're in quarantine and we're just searching for things to say i remember um i took a penalty there was a this is a strange story but i don't know if i ever told there was a girl in high school um that i really 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 liked um and she had this boyfriend that went to another school and he was a goalkeeper um, and he kind of got wind of, of my kind of nefarious feelings towards her. Um, and I was playing a game and he was there watching and it, I, I wondered if he, you know, if something was going to happen after and, and we kind of started talking in a very, you know, immature way at each other. And we agreed to, it was so, it was, it's so strange. It seemed like it was out of a movie, but I, um, I had taken a penalty during the game and I'd scored one and I said, let's take, Let's take another one um, as some weird show of bravado. And he went net with a goalie. 
was a Scottish goalie. Um, Graham was his name. And um, I skied the penalty. I put it over the bar. Um, I know, which I don't. I'm gutted. I mean, if he, if, yeah, if he had saved it, it would have been that much worse. Um, but then there was just this kind of weird impasse in my feelings towards her. I don't know what that story is supposed to mean. I guess it's that penalties are kind of meaningless. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I'm, I'm, I'm a goalie. So like, I absolutely hate penalties. Um, and it's like the one thing in practice, I remember players loved at the end of practice is like, Oh, can we do penalties? Can we do penalties? So I totally understand. It's just something that I, I thought was interesting because after that, that season, that, that um, game, it just kind of struggles, I guess, got magnified. Yeah. And I think the, 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 you can look at it a, a number of ways, but I was very fortunate to have been there um, in the stadium for, for um, the 2018 CONCACAF Champions League uh, in Mexico, the final where they lost on penalties. And that one seemed a little more gutting in a way um, because TFC really felt invincible during that stretch. This one just felt a little bit like them having to take their medicine, you know, and understand mm-hmm. that, you know, and I, this was kind of the, the theme in a way of, of what, you know, what, what my book about TFC was about is it's just, they had to, they had to fail before they could figure out how to succeed in every single way. Every, every, that was the, the kind of defining way of TFC for so long was that they would stumble and then they would understand what they did wrong and pick themselves back up. And, and, you know, you saw that in 2017, they said, look, here's how we can, beat the Seattle team and and it, that's kind of what it felt like um in in Mexico as well so yeah penalties never a great way to to decide any game I think that's a good point just in the sense that like immediately after that 2016 MLS Cup loss like everything quickly turned to I guess solutions oriented stuff from Toronto FC like they are instantly trying to dissect what they could do yeah, they almost believed immediately that they were going to be back on that same spot the very next year, and and what could they do differently on that day? And uh, I think that kind of brings us to the the key to the off season, and that was you know finding another creative player. I remember at the the press conference um, right after the season, Josie Altador saying immediately, "We need a number ten. We need another creative midfielder," um, which you know obviously made sense considering the way that game went and and the fact that. Um, they were unable to to really break down a, a very defensive Seattle side. Yeah, I I remember finding that really interesting because um, it's not very often that you have a player coming right out and saying, this is what I think management should do. And it's pretty awesome. You know, this is the kind of stuff that, you know, if you're around the team, if you cover the team, you you love that, right? You love those kind of storylines and then the, the storyline became well who's it going to be um interesting kind of side note to that i don't know if, you know either you read it i did a story i was able to go out for lunch with jonathan osorio um i guess to start the 2019 season maybe and he was telling me just how disappointed he was that he was never really given a proper shake as that number 10 player because he thought he could be that creative player um, but to me, that just spoke to how serious, you know, TFC management and everybody felt about getting there. They felt they were just one piece away. And what's interesting as well is like you have Josie Altador coming out and saying, we need that creative midfielder. I mean, behind 
strikers and maybe wingers, finding a good creative midfielder is that's the hardest player to find. Like these are the most in-demand players, and you have Josie Altador just saying, "Yeah, we need a good number ten. Let's go get him." Like I thought that was really kind of brazen, but maybe they needed that, uh, and they get you know Victor Vasquez, who's um, was just having this discussion, arguably one of the you know best players in in TFC history, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And a, an interesting signing, I think, a player that, you know, when Toronto FC initially got him, he was coming off a really rough stretch with Cruz Azul. Um, and, you know, a player that obviously had plenty of quality, had proven he had that quality over in Belgium. But I, you know, at the time of the signing, it was it was almost the same as the Pablo Piatti signing was most recently. It was like, does this player still, or can this player still play up to, to that level? Yeah, I remember his first game, not his first game, but I remember watching the game against Vancouver. I Maybe that was the season opener, um, but I, he, they were in Vancouver. And I remember Vasquez kind of looking slow, and I even probably tweeted something about how he looked off the pace a bit. But all that was was just him as a player, you know, because I wondered, is, is he going to be able to deal with the physicality of the league? Um, but that was just him as a player, you know, finding his spots and being that kind of, you know, not necessarily slow, but a player that didn't need to sprint into position. And and almost he used his mind to to kind of outwit, you know, back lines. Um, And I mean, after a few games, this is a testament to just how incredible he is as a player. It didn't take him long to figure out how to compete in MLS. And it was to be shifty and creative and play balls that like, at the time, and even now, like very few midfielders could play and maybe ever have played in MLS. Like he, he was just such a treat to watch. Like there were games, I, I was at almost every game in 2017. And especially through some of those summer months where if they were just making things look so easy. Like I would spend mm-hmm. entire halves just watching Victor Vasquez. And it was so much fun. Like it just from like an aesthetic perspective. And if you appreciate how hard it is to play those those key passes he was so much fun to watch he does he does that's that's so true he does things where it's like and and because he's not one of those super fast super super flashy like he is flashy but it's it's like all slow-mo kind of it it takes you a second to really like take in just how crazy the balls that he was able to play in or just how he was able to maneuver space so easily um i remember mitch mitch showed me a, a clip from the 2017 uh, MLS Cup against Seattle where um, Victor Vasquez just like curled the nicest through ball um, to Seba. He he didn't finish, but it was just like in the moment, I don't think I realized how nice of a ball that was, but it just, that that's just Vasquez in, in, in his, like, like in his purest. It's just, it takes a second. Yeah. He, again, he was just fun. Like that's, that's the way I always kind of described him. And he was fun to, to be around and fun to deal with. And, and it was, he's a player that just had that, that joy for the game, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the other major signing for Toronto FC that offseason and one that, you know, I think is obviously not as important as Vasquez, but I still think was pretty critical because when Toronto FC did switch to that 3-5-2, um, yep. largely for the playoffs in 2016, the, the one thing they were susceptible too and we saw this a lot in the impact series was uh, teams with quick counterattacks. so bringing in Chris Mavinga a guy who 
had that pace and obviously, you know, we'll talk about this probably a lot in the next episode, but took a little bit to adjust to MLS in terms of just relying on that pace. But a player who added a little more speed to the back line and as well as a number of other things, I think he ended up being pretty critical to Toronto FC being able to play that system effectively throughout the, throughout the season. Yeah. Um, what Chris Mavinga represented to me at least was the organization's ability to take players that might've had kind of a rough patch beforehand because Victor Vasquez really, really did not enjoy his time in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Right. And he was, you know, player of the year in Belgium, great player in Belgium, had a really tough go of it in Mexico. And I suppose if you just looked at it, you know, at kind of face value, you might've said, well, you didn't, have a great season in Mexico. Like what kind of player is he now? But they believed in their ability to get the player to work well within their system. And very much the same with Chris Mavinga. I mean, I think a lot of people are aware of his, I don't, I don't want to call it like a checkered past. It's not that at all, but he, you know, he's done some things on the pitch that a lot of teams would probably look at and say, I don't want that player on my team, but the, the karate it's, kick. It's, yeah. <laughs> sure, and it speaks to like, but it, for me, it speaks to, and I think Chris Mavinga in a lot of ways is kind of misunderstood. And this is based on my kind of conversations with him and my observations of him, you know, in covering TFC. And and I think what again, what it speaks to is is Vanny's belief that they can get a player that fills a very specific role on the pitch, and they can work with him to to make him kind of fit within the team structure. Um, so critical as a defender, like you said, to, to, to guard against counterattacks. Um, and so, so kind of, you know, he, because of his speed, if he decides he wants to bomb up out of the, you know, out of the back line, which he doesn't do often, but when he does, he can catch players on their toes. Um, so yeah, again, but to me, it was more of an off pitch thing that it spoke to just how well things were working with the coaching staff that they figured they could take these kind of players and, and they were projects in a way, right? It doesn't always work out. You know, your Agar Keches, your, your Gregory Vanderweels, but when it works, you really get a diamond in the rough, right? Yeah, for sure. I think like, like you said, that was, that was almost the MO for Toronto FC at that time was, was fine players like that, that um, were in situations, you know, you could even look at Sebastian Javinko in some ways, like, Obviously, it's on a different tier, but like, yeah, he's he, he was a player who, you know, was was on the bench in Europe and maybe not feeling like he was in the best situation. And Toronto FC were able to come in and and you know give an, a, him a new project to be excited about and a spot where he could really succeed. So um, that was definitely something that Toronto FC were um, were very effective at doing, especially through those two years. Um, I did want to talk about the kind of the team's attitude heading into the 2017 season. Um, you know, what do you remember about that off season and, and starting the year? Cause it was such a short little off season. Then they were right back at it. And, you know, I just remember a team that was just unbelievably determined and um, you know, you, you, you felt like you weren't going to get anything out of them until, you know, at least closer to, to MLS cup because everything was just focused on MLS cup in these first few games of the season. It was, uh, you know, like I said, it was almost tough to, to get anything out of them because they were so, not looking past those, but they were so mindful of the the end of the year. Yeah, I think if I recall correctly, I, I started the 2017 chapter in my book like this. Like, it was pretty apparent from day one of training camp that this was going to be a pretty boring team to cover because they went in it with a very business-like approach. Like, you could tell that they were 
there to put in a shift, get out, get in, get out without any drama and just, and just win baby. You know, like that's, <laughs> that's what they were kind of, that's what, that's what they, and this was very much, um, and I've written so much about him and I, I know it's kind of tired in a way, but this was, you saw the influence of Michael Bradley the most in that 2017 season, right? This mm-hmm. was a team that was driven. This was a team that um, had one singular goal and they were, I mean, Michael will tell you, and he, you know, told anybody that listened after 2017 that they were obsessed, right? And they had these incredibly lofty goals. You know, they wanted things that no other MLS cup or sorry, no other MLS team had ever had before. Um, and I, again, maybe that, because you're not going to get a lot out of players in the media and, and you found that if you look at what Josie Altador was like, again, after 2016, when he's basically calling on the team to sign a, a world-class number 10, and then you look at what he said throughout 2018 with his his issues with the medical staff, he kept a pretty tight lid on things in 2017. He was focused as well. And you had guys like Drew Moore, who one of the nicest players I've ever covered, but, you know, also won't really give you much in the media. This was kind of the, this was the, 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 the directing message throughout was it was business and Greg Vanny would want to talk tactics, but he would never buy into any drama. And even when the team was, and I know I'm jumping ahead, but even when the team was pushing for the points record, he would never really bite on it. And um, again, it was boring. It was businesslike, it was efficient, but that, that it was clear from day one, and again, we're talking about guys like Stephen Betashore, Justin Morrow, these these vets that had been there before. They weren't going to bite. They were just there to to put in a shift and go home. I think that's a, a good spot to wrap it up there as we, we lead into next week and, and the start of the MLS season for Toronto FC. But uh, Josh, thank you so much for joining us. And, and as I said, everyone go check out Come On You Reds, the story of Toronto FC, because that'll give you a nice little glimpse of, of almost the, the story leading up to this point and, and a bit of the story after as well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Josh Cloak for being the first ever guest on the show. <laughs> that penalty kick story, dude, that was pretty hilarious. Uh, I, I don't know why, but I feel like I was there. Like, he did a good I job felt of bad, describing bro. it. Like, I was like, damn, I hate to see it, but I didn't even see it. It was crazy um football will just do that to you man it's it's more than just a game it's what i'd be i've been trying to tell people that yeah straight up i swear i've like seen that movie before it might be the plot (laughs) to air bud 2 or something but you think (laughs) maybe cloak wrote that oh maybe he did maybe maybe air bud 2 is like a true story about joshua cloak's life (laughs) we're gonna need him we're gonna need him on again to tell us if he wrote that or not and we're also gonna need him to follow me back on twitter wow quick call out there from from tagua um, we're here for the banter there you go let's uh let's let's move on to the quiz portion of our show as we'll do every week on the podcast give me five quiz questions that you can go answer over at the darby mag instagram account first question this week which seattle sounders player missed his penalty in the 2016 mls cup final i think we all know justin morrow missed the the, the crucial penalty, and Michael Bradley also missed another one, but which Seattle player missed it to send it to the sixth round? The next question is, how many ex-Toronto FC players were in the Seattle 18 for that match, the 2016 MLS Cup Final? Which club did Victor Vasquez play for before joining Toronto, Toronto FC? If you listen carefully, we said it earlier in the episode. 
question number four, who did the Sounders beat in the 2016 Western Conference Final to get to MLS Cup 2016? And finally, how many Canadians appeared for Toronto FC mm-hmm. in the 2016 final? That's appeared. So we got as well five as this time coming off the bench. And uh, you can go to the Derby Mag um, Instagram account. They'll be on our stories um, Tuesday morning. Uh, we'll be launching every episode on, on Monday, as you guys know. So just make sure you're following Derby Mag um, on Instagram, Derby Magazine on Twitter, as well as uh, Footy Talks Live for all of your um, Canadian football content and football and content in general. Yeah, and sign up for the Northern Pitch newsletter as well. We'll have some photos and, and some articles to accompany this as well, just to, again, bring you back a little bit uh, to the 2017 season. And then check back in next week when we look at how a record-breaking season for Toronto FC got off to a not-so-great start. Yeah, stay safe, everybody.